Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of nursing and true crime and all, I don't know, we talk about a little bit of this and that on this podcast. Mostly nursing and true crime though. Let's just be real. (laughs) I want to welcome my guest host for this week. She's been a, she and I have been friends for 20 years and I'm just so excited that she's finally going to be on my podcast with me. She works in healthcare, also a little different area of healthcare, which we're going to get into just a little bit. So, Tiffany, welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) It's exciting. I know. I'm really excited. It's really kind of different. Occasionally, like I've had my husband's been on here and my one of my children has been on here with me. So it's always weird to have somebody that's like, you know, family (laughs) like this on but it's fun it's so much it's so much fun and you live of course a few hours from me so it's it's always good Mm -hmm. to get to connect anyway we do have a couple of really really fascinating stories for one thing I definitely want to do a trigger warning for this episode we have some very sensitive topics that we're going to be battling for one thing child abuse we're going to be talking about sexual abuse we'll be talking about suicide and so i just want people to understand some of the things that were it's going to be heavy so just so you understand that if any of those things are something that you were maybe aren't real comfortable hearing maybe you've got some trauma in your past or whatever i like to let people know so also i want to let you know that Tiffany, the area of healthcare that she works in is more of like she works from home. It's just a different world. It's a world that I'm actually fascinated by. So Tiffany, tell everybody what you do exactly. Well, I'm a medical coder, but I specialize in risk adjustment. So mm-hmm. I work for the payer side of things. And so we get audited by CMS. And so we go through, you know, CMS audits for coding. And so that's kind of what I do. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, there's a whole world out there. I think that for people that work at the bedside, all we know is we have a patient here that we need to take care of that needs medication, that needs different interventions. We have to assess, we have to monitor. And that's what we deal with for 12 hours, you know, a day, three days a week, or however many. And there's this whole world out there that is very important because Obviously, if we don't, in the way our healthcare system is set up in this country, you have you have insurance, you have Medicare, Medicaid, this whole system, and if the hospital's not able to get their money, clearly it won't be able to function. So it's an absolutely necessary position, and there's a lot of people that are interested in how they might be able to use their nursing degree or just their knowledge of healthcare to break into maybe a work from home job like you have. So 
I think, you mm-hmm. know, I think a lot of people. Well, it's definitely probably... a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have nurses on our team and, you know, I know there's provider education and all kinds of different aspects of it. That's that really cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, of course I try to encourage nurses to stay at the bedside if you possibly can, if that's your, if that's your calling and, you know, try to stick it out, try to make a difference, try to make things better. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to make things better for nursing. And if, and when I do decide to step away from the bedside, I will continue to advocate for nursing at the bedside because it is so important. I myself could be a patient one day. My family could be a patient one day. It's very important that we have, um, safe patient ratios in hospitals and that nurses are taken care of and other healthcare professionals. Anyway, having said all of that, I guess we can get started with this episode. Sounds good. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. So this is the story, the very, very sad and disturbing story, I might say, of Melissa Lucio. She was the first woman of Hispanic descent to be sentenced to death in Texas. So in February of 2007, Lucio and her family were in the process of relocating residences when their two-year-old daughter, Mariah Alvarez, who was the youngest of their 12 children, fell down a flight of stairs. So she had a mild physical disability that caused her to be unsteady on her feet at times, and she was prone to tripping. So initially it appeared that she was fine, but then she started, she became lethargic, she wouldn't eat. And then two days later, she laid down and took a nap and didn't wake up. This is the saddest, it's really sad. I mean, I have three children. It's hard to imagine what this family must have gone through. They called 911 and advised that the toddler was not responsive. So when police got there to the residence, they discovered there, there were a lot of bruises on her body. And then also what they thought was a bite mark. Later on, an x-ray would reveal that her arm had recently been broken. And so immediately the investigators are just kind of jumping to conclusions here. Oh, there's bruises. The x-ray showed a recent break. She fell down a flight of stairs. This child is no longer living. She just mysteriously died in her sleep. So they jumped to some conclusions here, and it's kind of going to take a big turn here, and that's kind of how we are going to end up where she is right now. 
Law enforcement allegedly neglected to obtain information about her medical history. So, you know, we said she had this medical history. And you would, you know, you would think that in a situation like this, that law enforcement would want to get all the information so that they don't falsely accuse, you know, someone rather than just picking and choosing what they want to use in their investigation. So instead, they formulated their own conclusion of events and a medical examiner, and this is why this is the bad medical examiner story, determined that her death was a homicide due to blunt force head trauma. So I'm just going to say that, you know, lately, (laughs) my whole life I've been fascinated by the criminal justice system, by law. I almost went into that area rather than going into nursing. It was sort of, I was sort of pulled in two different directions and I ended up going into the medical side of it. But I'm still, I've still always been fascinated. It's why I do this podcast and kind of want to pull in an element, you know, of the true crime and law. And I've always sort of, and I think a lot of people do this, held the criminal, like the prosecutors, you know, the people on the quote, good side, I've held them in really high esteem and look at them like, oh, they have no reason to falsely accuse someone. So if they accuse someone, they must genuinely believe. Now, I understand they're humans and they could be wrong about this, but I think I've always had the impression that why would they have a reason to accuse someone of doing something if they didn't really do it? They're the experts. Right. That's what you would think. Right. So lately, I've been doing all these stories. Of course, I started this podcast four years ago. So I've done lots and lots of stories week in, week out. And the more I delve into stories where the per- where these prosecutors you know, and investigators go in and start making assumptions, I realize that there actually are motivations sometimes for people on that side of the law to accuse someone of something, even if they don't really think they did it, or if there's not enough evidence to prove that they did. That's really shocking to me. I It really kind of sets me back on my heels, because it kind of goes against everything that, as a citizen in the United States, that puts you know their faith in our criminal justice system, that believes in the checks and balances of our system, and that in blind justice, you know, lady justice is supposed to be blind, innocent until proven guilty. The more of these stories that I do, I get so discouraged because I find things like this that happen way too frequently. So the detectives lock their attention in on Lucio as the primary suspect, as they believe that as the mother, she was the most often alone with the child and she really wasn't given time to even process the tragedy. She was just whisked away for questioning a mere two hours after the death of her child. She was pregnant at the time and in, obviously in shock over the loss of her child. They ruthlessly interrogated her, these detectives, for hours. I mean, they had already passed judgment and were determined to get a confession from her. And they used coercive methods to elicit false statements from her Experts have reviewed her case and interrogation records have concluded that she was, quote, relentlessly pressured and extensively manipulated during the interrogation. This is something I would have never, I never could have understood it. But there's, there have been some really, really good documentaries done, like on Netflix, you can find them. I think there's one called The Confession Tapes, actually. 
And you, it's just inexplicable. You cannot, you can't believe that someone would admit to doing something they didn't do. Who would do that? I mean, who would do that? But it's psychological. And these investigators know that. They understand that. I mean, can you imagine confessing to something that you didn't do, Tiffany? I mean, really? I can't imagine doing it, but, you know, I've never been under that kind of pressure either. So, right. who knows? It's, it's hard. And what I always say is, like, I think that we all have circumstances going on in our lives. You know, we have things that, you know, maybe we get in an argument with our spouse or we, I don't know, search something weird, like good, good grief, my internet searches for looking for cases <laughs> to talk about, you know. And then, so if something horrible were to happen to one of my family members, they could look at me and just be like, yeah, so, you know, you and your husband just had an argument and then you were searching on here about nurses who kill people, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> it, you know, they could literally... I feel like they could take most people, like an average person, you could just pluck them right out of society and take a magnifying glass and to look and look at all their internet searches, look at everything that's going on, interview all the people around them, everybody they work with, and you could literally find some reason to accuse them of something bad and make it, you know what I mean? Like weave it to make it look as though they were guilty. And that's scary to me. That is really mm -hmm. scary. So after several hours of brutal interrogation, detectives received the confession that they wanted. She said, I guess I did it. That was her confession. I guess I did it. She was absolutely worn down. She was devastated because of the death of her daughter. She was pregnant. She was exhausted. And she just blurted out, I guess I did it. And they Moving took... Moving with 12 children, mm -hmm. five hours in interrogation. Exactly. Exactly. And... That is what they used literally to charge her and basically put out there as if that was her confession, her quote confession, when really, in all likelihood, she said that just to get the officers to end the interrogation. So her inadvertent statement was then characterized by the prosecution as a confession to murder. Two of the officers who interrogated Miss Lucio were present at Mariah's autopsy. Totally inappropriate. You know, why would the defense not be able to be there too? If you have per, you know someone on one side of it, the person who is performing the autopsy, should they not be neutral in this? Yep, they should be. You would think they would be. Right. To me, they shouldn't be agents of the prosecution or agents of the state. They should be neutral in performing their duties. And yet you have these two officers who are present during the autopsy. Some would say that would lead to a biased autopsy process and an incomplete investigation into her health history and causes of her injuries and death. Lucia's case went to a trial, and the medical examiner provided a testimony to corroborate their initial assessment of the toddler. They advised that only logical ex the only logical explanation for Mariah's bruising and injuries was abuse. Now, here's the thing, Tiffany. Like I said, you know, before I started doing all, before I started reading up on stories like this and coming across case after case after case of this sort of thing happening, I would have been a juror, one of 12 people, sitting there going, well, this person has no reason to lie about this. This is a medical examiner for crying out loud. Why would they have a reason to lie? You look at them as the good guys. Mm -hmm. So here this person sits, and they, on, you know, on trial, 
They advised that the only logical explanation for her bruises and injuries was abuse. So pathologists that have reviewed the case, however, have refuted the testimony and have provided evidence that Mariah's autopsy showed signs of blood a blood coagulation disorder. The disorder Which causes would explain the abusing. Right. Exactly. Which is so sad. I mean, why this wouldn't have been brought out before, I have no idea. But for whatever reason, it wasn't. So the disorder causes profuse bruising throughout the body. I'm terrible. I bruise so easily. I have bruises all the time. I'll have people be like, what's that huge bruise? Like there'll be a huge bruise on my leg where, you know, I hit a table or something. I have no idea. I won't even remember. And I'll be like, I have no idea. And I feel like they're probably looking at me like, yeah, right. She's, what's your husband? Where's your husband? And, and, I'm, and I mean, he's literally like the most amazing person and kindest person with the best heart. And he would never, ever do anything. In fact, it's way too good to me. And yet I literally have bruised so easily that I could have bruises all over me. So I totally get this. And this poor baby, you know, had some sort of condition that, made her bruise easily. And plus, she's a baby. I mean, my goodness. They fall. They're just learning. Others kind of, they're called toddlers for a reason. They just sort of, you know, wobble around. back and forth. <laughs> exactly. Fall easily, you know. It's just, plus, and you're having a condition that causes her to stumble around. I mean, it's just, it's hard to read this, you know, just in hindsight. And I understand it is hindsight. You know, we have the benefit of the Monday morning quarterback where we can get, hey, we have all this information here in front of us. And I get that. But this information was there all along. It was there from the beginning. It just wasn't looked into. No one was looking for it. There are so many amazing nurse creators out there right now. How would you like to come to a really cool city, Austin, Texas, and not only get to meet some of these most fascinating nurses, but get to learn from them how they became successful. We're meeting up in Austin, Texas on September 24th at an absolutely adorable art gallery where we're going to get to hear them teach masterclasses on everything from Facebook to TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and even me. I'll tell you all about podcasting, how to get sponsors, all of that stuff. Not only are we going to have masterclasses, we're also going to have a fun evening of entertainment and food, taco bar, dinner and non-alcoholic beverages are included in the ticket. And then we're also going to have a cash bar. So hurry and get registered because tickets are on sale right now with an early bird price and in-person tickets are limited. So I can't wait to see you all there. Go to nursecreatorcon.com to register. That's nursecreatorcon.com to register. Or we also will put the link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that 
invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash goodness bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash goodness bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care, be sure and put dot care instead of dot com forward slash goodness bad nurse. At the time of her death, she was healing from an injury to her arm, which the medical examiner also said was a sign of abuse. However, there was a there's a pediatric orthopedic surgeon who reviewed the evidence that concluded that the medical examiner's testimony was misleading and that there's, quote, nothing about Mariah's fracture that indicates that it was the result of an intentional act of abuse. So this pediatric orthopedic surgeon also concluded that the type of injury sustained is extremely common among toddlers and that it can result from a fall from standing height. That is so scary. So, so scary. I had friends one time who had a little baby who was like, two or three years old, running through the yard, stepped in like a hole, just like a little divot, you know, hole in the yard, and their leg just twisted around. And they had a femur, like a twisting femur fracture. Very, yeah, very, very rare, very, very rare fracture, and almost always attributed to child abuse because it's like a the twisting, like that, like grabbing a leg or an arm and twisting it as opposed, you know, because otherwise, and the, the doctor told them if there hadn't, there because there were clear witnesses, there was like out in the middle of, you know, in the yard and there were people everywhere. And the doctor said, you know, if you didn't have all these witnesses, we would have had to question this because it is very rare to see this sort of an injury that is not child abuse. Is that not horrifying? Wow. That's so scary. I mean, what if there hadn't been witnesses? I mean, that's just so scary. That's what you have to realize. And that's why I feel like jurors need to really, and I feel like most of the time jurors do take their job seriously. But at the same time, I think they put so much more weight on the prosecution side. They give them so much more credit because they're the good guys. And I just don't necessarily think that's a good idea all the time. Right. Yep. I agree. There were thousands of pages of Child Protective Services records that showed Miss Lucio's 12 children never said she was violent with them. No caseworkers noted signs of abuse. No physical evidence showed otherwise. The state presented no physical evidence or witness testimony establishing that Lucio abused Mariah or any of her children, let alone killed Mariah. Judge Katharina Haynes wrote on behalf of the seven dissenting judges from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit... Quote, the jury was deprived of key evidence to weigh. That is the point. So there was evidence that was available that they just didn't have in order to make the decision. So her advocates have since condemned the trial judge for not letting the jury hear critical testimony from mental health professionals that could have explained why Lucio, who is a longtime survivor of sexual abuse and domestic violence, would falsely confess. Lucio first experienced sexual abuse from a family member at age six and endured the abuse until her teenage years. She became a child bride at 16 in attempts to get herself out of that situation, that abusive environment. However, the marriage was not the escape that she wanted it to be, and so the cycle of abuse continued with her husband. As a minor with no support system, she developed a substance use disorder. 
Her husband later abandoned her and their five children. She had more children, including Mariah, and her next partner also was abusive and repeatedly raped her. Her, he was volatile. He threatened to kill her. A psychologist who reviewed recent testing of Lucio said that Lucio has, quote, highly abnormal levels of vulnerability to police coercion because of her background. It's so frustrating that all of this stuff came out after she was already convicted. After. Yeah. yeah. What we know today, which we didn't know 15 years ago, is that survivors of significant trauma and domestic abuse like Lucio are particularly vulnerable to the coercive police interrogation tactics that Lucio endured over five hours. So as experts explain, particularly when wielded by male police officers, the type of interrogation used against her simply recapitulates the psychodynamics of domestic abuse. So it makes sense that women like Lucio, who learned to survive domestic abuse by, quote, accommodating and conforming to the wishes of the violent partner, will likewise accommodate and conform to the demands of a threatening armed male police officer in an interrogation room. I mean, not on the jury, and I don't have 100% of the facts, I'm sure, but just listening to it and reading what we do have available to us, I mean, it's just horrible accident is what it sounds like to me. And she's on death row. Yes, and I do think that we have the benefit of having all this information, so I don't necessarily fault the jury. Right. I fault the investigators. No, 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 no. Exactly, yeah. They, they had the opportunity to take the situation and look at everything, you know, look at, the, at all of the evidence with neutral eyes instead of just mm. honing in, in on, you know, just looking at it and going, oh, the child has bruises, the child yes, fell a couple of days ago, the child you know, passed away in her sleep, pregnant, overwhelmed mother of 12, it must be the mother. And they didn't really look beyond that, it seems like. That's just so sad. The jury never learned about the extent of Miss Lucio's history of child sexual abuse and domestic violence and how it shaped her reactions immediately following her daughter's death. The trial court prohibited the testimony, but allowed the Texas Ranger who coerced Miss Lucio's incriminating statement to testify falsely for the prosecution that Miss Lucio's slumped posture, passivity, and failure to make eye contact told him that she was guilty. You know, this kind of reminds me of a recent trial that I was present for. I don't know if you remember or if you were watching during this testimony, but there is a particular TBI agent in Tennessee who testified at Redonda's sentencing that she didn't think that Redonda was sincere when she said that she was saddened by what had happened, that she was upset. She actually, this Tennessee Bureau of Investigation investigator literally got on the stand and testified that she thought that Redonda's, her, the way that she was acting was not sincere. That's kind of what this reminds me of. It's like, what business do you have? Who do you think you are saying whether someone's sincere? Exactly. I mean, how do you know? Everybody reacts to trauma and different things differently. Right. And just because they don't have the same reaction you might have, I mean, that has nothing. It just, yeah, that's crazy. Oh, a woman who is pregnant, who is exhausted, who has 12 children, who just lost a two-year-old baby, is slumped, passive, 
and didn't make eye contact with this police officer who's interrogating her, who has extensive history of sexual abuse from a child. We're, we're going to say that that is um, proof that she's guilty because of the way she's sitting. That It's unbelievable. It really yeah, is. For sure. The omission of this crucial evidence was particularly damaging because the prosecution had a weak case for capital murder and an even weaker case for a death sentence. Miss Lucio had no prior record of violence. Cameron County District Attorney Armando Villalobos presented Lucio's conciliatory statement to the jury as a, quote, confession to homicide and sought the death penalty. Mr. Villalobos was seeking re-election, came under fire for failing to thoroughly investigate and prosecute more than 100 previous allegations of child abuse. So here he is. He's coming He's coming up for re-election, re and they're saying, oh, you go soft on child abuse. Look at these. There's a hundred allegations of, re, of child abuse, and you have not prosecuted them. You have not thoroughly investigated them. And so now he has this opportunity to make an example out of someone. So that he's hoping that's going to make him appear, you know, quote, tough on crime. Well, today, the former district attorney is serving a 13-year federal prison sentence for bribery and extortion. So on April 25th, 2022, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals halted the scheduled execution of Lucio. She was scheduled to be executed on April 28th, 2022, just a couple months ago. The court's ruling came minutes before the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles was scheduled to vote on whether to recommend that the governor delay Lucio's execution for at least 120 days. The board later said that it would no longer make a recommendation because of the court's ruling. In a phone call with State Representative Jeff Leach, a Plano Republican who has advocated for her, Lucio was overcome with emotion when Leach told her she had been granted a stay. Are you serious? She asked, laughing through tears. That is wonderful. Oh, thank you, God. In a statement provided by her attorneys, Lucio said she was thankful for those who spoke out for her and was, quote, grateful for the court has given me the chance to live and prove my innocence. Mariah is in my heart today and always. I am grateful to have more days to be a mother to my children and a grandmother to my grandchildren. That's just horrible. I can't, I mean, I just can't imagine. That's just a horrible situation. It is. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, not only to lose your child, but to be accused of their murder for, you know, what seems to me to be an accident. I'm, an, you know, I'm not a professional, but to me, to be a horrible accident. Well, and the reason that we like to do these stories on this podcast is I like to say we, we like to shine a light in the darkness. You know, this is one of those stories that by the time you get to the end of it, you're just like, I need to go to bed. I'm just so, <laughs> so depressed at this point. It's just to think about this poor mother, to think about these 12 children or her 11 children growing up without her baby that I'm assuming was born in prison. Just that whole situation. Horrible. It's hard to think about that. And yet we have to talk about this stuff or nothing will ever change. We have to all be aware and on guard that things like this happen. And so if you're ever put in the situation that you're on a jury, you know, really weigh out all the evidence and really look at, do you have enough evidence, really enough evidence to prosecute or to convict this, this person of what they've been accused of? And I, I don't know. I don't, what's the answer? Because how do you go, how do you make the police do their job and investigate properly? What do you, how do we as citizens have any power over that at all. 
voting. Well, that is one thing for sure, especially with, you know, their most prosecution and most prosecutors, that is an elected office, not all, but a lot of them are. And I think definitely being aware of these small elections is very important for us, you know, knowing who these people are, their integrity, you know, what are they known for? What have they done? Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Well, I guess we can get into our good nurse story for this week. I'm really sad to to be talking. I've mentioned this before on the podcast when it first happened. So this is, we're going to talk about Naomi Judd. And I mentioned it right after her death. I was recording a podcast and I was so shocked. I didn't know what happened to her. I wasn't sure. But I mean, we ha- we all kind of suspected. I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably like, who's Naomi Judd? And that <laughs> baffles me. That completely just throws me for a loop because I grew up in the Nashville area. Country music, if you live anywhere in Middle Tennessee, you don't really get to escape the country music bubble. You are going to be familiar with it. You may not like it. You may hate country music, but you will know these people because their faces are everywhere. Their names are everywhere. Their music is everywhere. You can't walk into stores. You can't be in restaurants. I mean, it's everywhere. So I'm not a huge country music fan per se, but I grew up with the Judd. It's kind of like, you know, their family. And I love them because... I remember them from my childhood. And as I grew up, they kind of came along and, and went through changes. Naomi Judd 
was a nurse. And I don't know if you guys realize that or not, those of you who are familiar with the Judds, but Naomi Judd was a nurse. And she's really an amazing, she was an amazing person. She was born in 1946. She was born as Diana Ellen Judd. So her name was Diana. She was, of course, in 1983, she and her daughter, Winona, Winona's name was originally Christina. So they changed their names to sort of, they said to to sort of fit the better, I guess, with the country music. Naomi took, took her name from the Bible. And so they became very successful as country music artists eventually. But before that, she went to nursing school because she was a single mom. I mean, she was when she was 16 years old, she became pregnant with Winona. She got married, and then that marriage didn't work out. She had another baby with that person, and that marriage didn't work out, and she ended up a single mom of two. And so she went to nursing school. She put herself through nursing school, and then she would work shifts at the hospital. And on her days off, she would go around to these recording studios and meet with record producers. And she would bring her tape, her their demo tape that she and Winona recorded. I mean, she worked her butt off to get them where they and ultimately ended up, which was, you know, basically being legends. I mean, I think they're amazing. And the sad thing is, she did talk about how she endured sexual abuse as a child. And she does believe that that contributed to her depression that she suffered her entire life. And what's weird is that, like, when you watch her on stage with her daughter, you would just not know. And that's what people say all the time. You don't know what somebody's really going through. What does she have to be depressed about? She's beautiful. She has a wonderful family. Her daughters are successful. She's so wealthy and famous. Everyone loves her. Everyone, who doesn't love her? And yet she suffered from depression. And I think that's what people really need to understand is that it is a mental health issue it is a it's a medical diagnosis. This is not any different than someone who suffers from diabetes or high blood pressure. It is a medical diagnosis. It is something that has to be treated that you have to take very seriously. And she was she. It was something that she was she was in therapy for, and she battled it her whole life. And then she just lost that battle. And it's so incredibly sad. I was just absolutely devastated to hear. And I went on YouTube and was kind of just looking through some videos of her. And I found the coolest video of her where she went on and did a little like YouTube talk like or like a Zoom type talk to a group of nursing students at a school of nursing. And she was talking about mental health and she had her lab coat on, like her actual nursing lab coat. And she even had mints in her pocket from when she had worn it last. Is that not the weirdest thing? I know. I thought that was so cool. If you go and find that video on YouTube, if you know, you guys, you nurses who are out there, especially mental health nurses, I mean, you're going to appreciate that. She was a critical care nurse. She really got into, because she obviously suffering from depression, she was really fascinated by the neuroscience of all of it. And she did a lot of research about it. So I think it's really fascinating to look at her from the, you know, from a nurse's standpoint and you know, to look at her as the nurse that she always was. She kept her license active her whole life. She always remained a nurse and saw herself as a nurse and continued to be a nurse. She was doing research. She was trying to advocate and fight 
for for mental health, you know, for what the things that she was suffering from and trying to fight for advancements in that and bring awareness. So I just wanted to talk about her a little bit, bring more, I don't know, for those of you who aren't familiar with her, kind of honor her. I think she was a wonderful nurse and continued to be a wonderful nurse. She did lose her battle with depression. And I mean, that's so unfortunate. It just breaks my heart to, to think about her daughters and her family, her husband, yes. and what they are having to endure. But that's, that's the horrible disease of depression. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of celebrity deaths, but that one pretty hard for me too because I grew up with you yeah. know with her, and so yeah, that was hard. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another week of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You guys, be sure, and if you're interested in coming to Austin, Texas, I would love to see you, but the tickets are, they're limited, the in-person tickets are limited, so if you're wanting to go, you should go now, especially since there's the early bird prices are on there, and it's at nursecreatorcon.com. You can go there and register for tickets. We're having a taco bar, we're having a cash bar. It's going to be amazing. Plus, lots of master classes and silly, goofy stuff that we're doing. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Sounds like fun. And you can follow us on social media at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And you can email me if you'd like at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. Always love to hear from you. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>